0: Hello and welcome to another episode of What a Waste of Time. This is Jim speaking. I'm here with my good friend Nick. Hello, this is me. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a subject that I struggle to articulate. That's a good, brilliant. This yes, is going to make for some gripping radio, great yeah. audio content. <laughs> um, so yes, I'm going to. I'll start the timer for one hour now. So the thing. This is something I feel very strongly about, and yet sometimes I cannot really put into words what it is that I mean. Which is that I think that video games, there's a certain element that they haven't managed to achieve yet as a genre.
1: In what area do you feel this is, Jim? Because as we are aware, video games are made up of lots of different constituent parts all coming together in a way that... um is different to film because you have the whole aspect of player input and player decisions. And also the conventions that have been established from there. Um, I actually was thinking a lot about this cause, um, recently cause, uh, browse held high did an episode about monster factory. Um, the, which I think I've mentioned you before, the McElroy brothers trying to essentially break character creators and create what they call, you know, monsters. Uh, you. Um, and one of the things that, um, Kyle Calgren of browse held high put forward is that this, Kind of really weird absurdist stuff of like trying to push a digital medium to breaking point and beyond is a much truer expression of what video game media culture development. Well, it's it's what the future may well look like, because at the moment, video games still has a tremendous tendency to ape film a lot. Yeah, because that's the nearest thing we have to yeah it.
2: and that—that that is sort
0: of my issue is that i i don't necessarily think it's a it's bad or wrong for a video game to to tell a story in a filmic way mm. we know how to do that and games can do that very well there's lots of very good uh linear narrative uh games out there there's also lots of very good branching narratives out there but my issue is is that you know there's this Big sort of, There was this big surge of sort of open-world games when, when popularised by Grand Theft Auto, um, but they still tell their narratives in a very linear way. Mm-hmm. And yes, maybe you, you have branching narratives, but it's still it's a choose-your-own-adventure novel. And I'm certain that it, there is a way of telling a story in a video game that presents the narrative in a way that sort of that is accessible in the same way as the game environment because like if you can like as an example of a of a linear narrative told in video games told well um one of the i think one of the best examples is is maybe half-life 2 mm. um because you know there's a very clear sort of progression of of narrative there. there's this this happens then this happens then this happens and the player is guided through that with the environment because the, every part of the environment is all about guiding the player uh, in a certain direction. Mm. Uh, and there's certain obstacles that will have to come, but it's all designed to, to to help the player intuit what they're supposed to do and where they're supposed to go. To the point where it really irritates me now when there's a linear uh, storytelling game that fails to do that well, considering how old Half-Life 2 is. Mm. Uh, for instance, we now I'm not sure if it was... Dead Island or Dead Island Two? I think it's the latter. I think because, it was the second one. That, yeah. I wasn't present for this, but yeah. Yes. Well, uh, our housemate Richard was playing friend of the show. Yes, I don't think he's ever listened. <laughs> uh, he was playing Dead Island Two, and just the beginning of it. I wasn't even playing, and I was yelling at the screen just because of how poorly it was communicating the the linear narrative. There was a point where Perry was trying to, um, like, it was clear that this broken elevator was. The way forward and he had to climb up it yeah but it wouldn't let him yeah because the nav point that he was supposed to follow led him to a door so he followed it, so he realized oh right I've got it. And it was a door he'd already come through so he went to the door and he had to like press x on it and then the nav point changed to the elevator
2: <laughs> and it was so it it's like
0: what's the point like then you're it's getting in the way like he worked out where he was supposed to go he would actually manage to like communicate that effectively enough do you really have such little respect for your players that you feel that they will be completely lost unless you put a, not only a nav point saying where they go but a restrictive one that like makes sure that oh you definitely walk through this door first before advancing mm. like you you press well, this the is, button
1: this is a similar um topic that was touched upon um in the Mega Man x episode of sequelitis by egoraptor where the, actually I find, while I think the analysis of Mega Man itself is a very interesting thing in showing how the game teaches you to play by you playing it, um, the things he says at the beginning of um, how you, with more big budget games that are going to, for a broader mass market appeal, the worry is, is that, you know, because video games have the unique problem that you can't fail at watching a film. You can't miss content in a film because you sit there and you watch it and it happens and then you've seen the film mm. with a book. You sit there, you read the book, and then you get to the end of the book, and that's it. With video games, because there's always going to be a barrier of skill or competency, um, you know, for people who, for example, I, you know, really like the Souls games. Um, uh, Bloodborne was the most recent one, and I'm currently playing Neo, which is hard. Um, But the thing about Bloodborne is that there's lots of optional content that is either really, really hard. (laughs) Or, really difficult to figure out where to go. And obviously, FromSoft take a view that they're sort of like, well, if you're invested enough and you dig deeply enough and you explore the mechanics to their fullest level, you'll be able to get access to this additional content of like other bosses and smaller storylines and stuff like that. But a vast majority of players. i think i read a statistic somewhere that was the vast majority of people who play video games don't finish their video games i mean we're both guilty of that Mm. in lots of ways i think you're more of a completionist than i am yeah um i i i tend to approach um video games from a more like i want to enjoy the mechanics that are at work rather than necessarily it it, i I still feel bad that the last of us is sat on a shelf in the (laughs) next room which i started and i got about two or three hours in or something and i was like hmm, this is an interesting plot. It's well made. The characters seem likeable and the world is interesting. But I don't care because the gameplay is kind of boring. It's yeah, just cover-based shooting stealth I, stuff. I had, I, like, I had
0: the same experience. Like I've stopped playing it as well. Now, partly that was because you yelled at me if I played it whilst you were in the room because you didn't want any spoilers. <laughs> um, uh, and or, or sometimes I play it and you go, oh, I'll just leave. And be like, no, Nick, come back. <laughs>
2: come back.
0: Um and so that was one reason why I stopped playing. But also, yeah, it didn't, it didn't. Re- the, the 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 game loop didn't really interest me very much. Mm. Well, at least it interests me in certain amounts, but like, not enough for me to to, to find it more ish. Yeah, it's uh, I. So f- that's the
1: problem, though, is that you mm. have you know you look at a game like on the scale of say The Witcher Three. Yeah. Where there is hundreds and hundreds of hours of content mm. that you have to go and, you know, it's really, really hard to 100% complete that game. Yeah. Especially since there are options in the storyline that different things can happen depending on who you let live, who you let die, who mm. you decide to shack up with, et etc. et cetera. Um, And it's very hard for, to explain this from a, you know, from a marketing standpoint to your publisher saying like, yeah, there's all this stuff that people could miss very easily. Y- yeah. Because, you know, if they don't properly engage with the material, then they won't get it. This has led to um, what Ego Raptor complained about in his video, which was a lot of kind of babying of players, of giving them information in a very, mm. you know, idiot-proof way. Yeah, it's all like you have you want them <clears throat> to play as much of your game as possible and get the most value of money out of it as possible. Especially if it's like there's an online component. So if you're still making money from either subscription or DLC or whatever, you want to have player retention be good.
0: Yeah. That's hard, <laughs> yeah, and I, I completely understand that like, because I th- you know for a game developer, the worst thing that they that can happen for, for one to one of their players is for them to be like, "I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing mm. and you, that you know because that can kill the momentum and make them stop playing if they, if yeah. they're like that sort of feeling stuck or feeling directionless mm. um, so yeah, I completely understand why why they feel that they must put in, like, very clear mechanisms of expressing information. Um, and I agree that they should do that. But I sort of feel like if, like, as soon as you feel like you have to put text on screen or not every instance, but often if you, especially if it's a linear game, uh, putting nav points, it just make that feels like, you know, in film ter- terms, you say, show, don't tell. Mm. And that feels like telling rather than showing. Mm. And it feels like hand-holding. And pff, maybe that's, that's just not to my taste, but I mm. feel it is a bit patronising. Especially when, with linear games, there's so many really, like, there's ways of doing the same thing in an, an obtrusive way. Mm. Um, it just feels like you're not trying hard enough.
1: Well, there's that, but also, like, the one of the things I think that we need to consider is that um, you and I, and I'm sure the dear listeners out there, if you're listening to this you know, podcast that's mostly about media and stuff, you probably... Have at least a semblance of the understanding of critical theory and of how like semiotics works and how games will try and signpost things. We're quite we're very video game literate. Mm. You put someone who hasn't played it before, like I, I had some fun experiences um, a couple of years back when I was still living at home with my family. Um, I played video games with my mother a little bit just to sort of you know show her hey look at this thing, um, and um, she obviously didn't. One of the things that I found that is the biggest barrier which is the thing a lot of people including uh, david cage has tried to deal with is the fact that we take for granted that a controller is intuitive to Mm, us mm. like you know we can do the hand-eye coordination of translating movements with our hands into things happening on the screen second nature we don't even really have to think about it because we grew up learning it you put a controller in the hands of somebody who's never played before and they'll keep being, what, but, you know, and they're having to s- literally split their yeah. um, attention, which is a big, can be a big barrier. But, um, you know, my mum enjoyed Assassin's Creed too. She liked running around, you know, in Florence and stuff like that, and going <laughs> to Watch me. Oh, this is nice. Um, liked with some of the racing games. We played Chime, which is like very basic puzzle game stuff, you know, musical mm. um, rhythm action games. And that kind of stuff was very accessible. But once you got to more involved stuff, um, there came a point where... The frustration that she experienced of trying to access the material vastly outstripped the actual reward she got from doing it. Yeah, and it's it's it, while you know there's this, there's this misconception I feel that um, games are for quote gamers, which is a ridiculous idea of a demographic created by marketing people to make gamers big air quotes here feel special. Yeah, um, because you feel like you're part of an exclusive club who has exclusive content catered exclusively for you, whereas Anyone can play games and a lot of people who play games don't have the same level of literacy with that medium yeah. that you and I have. So while subtlety teaching things can be effective with us, sometimes you need, there are a lot of people who need it spelled yeah. out. The case in point I was, going, the point I was getting to is my mum also played Journey. And Journey, I think, is an incredible game in terms of design of how it teaches you mechanics and then teaches you how to apply those mechanics and then gives you some puzzles and you're like, oh, I learned that this does this. I wonder if I do this. Will this feed on? It's not very challenging because it's more about an experience, but the puzzles in it are fairly accessible, but they don't tell you anything. The only, I think the only prompts you get on screen is analog stick to move, analog stick to move camera, circle button to use your cry. And that's literally about it. And the jump button. And that's it. It just tells you that like, within the first like five seconds of the game. And then everything else it teaches you about how the game works is communicated through gameplay. Hmm. In that instance, my mum could not understand what she was supposed to do. Like, we were looking at things and I was sat with her and you know, she's sort of like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I'm like, well, you see those fish things over there. And she's like, yeah. I was like, well, remember what happened when you spoke to those fish things the first time and it made you fly? She was like, Oh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was like, okay. And she went over and she did the and she did the cry thing. And the fish lifted her up. And she said, "Well, they lifted me up, and I fell back down. Now what?" I'm like, "Well, you're trying <laughs> to get somewhere." And she's like, "Am I?" And I was like, oh, "Okay, yeah." You know, because whereas for me, I when she walks into the first area and you can see there's a ledge with a door, there's a fish thing that makes you jump. Mm-hmm. I put two and two together, and I naturally think this is the situation I'm trying to solve. This is the solution. Yeah, but because she doesn't have the same game literacy of having to think about problems from a, like, what am I trying to achieve in this experience? Um, it became a real barrier. And she ended up not playing the game. She just said, well, why don't you play it and I'll watch. Yeah. So I just played through the game again. And she was like, oh, that was really nice. Yeah. You know? And I was just like, okay. But re- it's, it's hard to strike that balance of what you... You want to keep people playing. You want it to be accessible to as many people as possible. But at the same time, as you say, the best game design and the best teaching tools should mm. be invisible yeah especially because
0: um like no, i mean nobody enjoys being stuck no but when if you have been stuck and then you figure it out the satisfaction is is way better than you know solving something that was easy mm. and i always find if like in, in situations where a nav point appears and tells you exactly where you're supposed to go or a uh a, a, like a a, a, a prompt appears on the screen telling you what it is you're supposed to be doing um my my enjoyment immediately just plummets because i'm like oh that like there's no there's no game here i'm just doing i'm just jumping through hoops like uh one example i remember is um is the witcher which i you know i'm sad to criticize because i i do enjoy it and
1: it's a great game but it's, it's um, a- I want to just say on record, an absurdly high-quality game. Yes. The scale that it works on, it's mm. baffling mm. how good that game is. Yes. Generally um, confusing. But yeah,
0: so there's a moment... In, I think it was in one of the DLCs in, in Toussaint, This uh, is the Blood and Wine DLC. Um, there's a point in that where you, ha- where you have to find something, and you're given a map, and the map is hand-drawn. And I spent a long time, like I, a long time, sort of comparing the, the hand-drawn map with my, you know, game map to try and figure out, oh, where are these places? And I was so satisfied when I was like, oh, yes, yes, now I see where it matches. So I'm looking for this place, this place, and this place. I'll go now. I'll go mark them. And then, then I realised that as soon as I sort of approached where they were supposed to be, well, like just, I think I was halfway through a dialogue, um, uh, prompt or something. Uh, in, and as soon as I finished that dialogue, having already looked at the map. Then nav points appeared on my screen, and it's like, oh, here they are. And it's, well, what was the point of the map then? Like a diegetic yeah. thing
1: for Geralt to know where to well, go. Well, sure, sure. But, sure, I, know but, but I,
0: I sort of, I do sort of feel like, like I'm not necessarily opposed to like nav points in an open world game, but I do sort of feel like, well, you know, map reading is a skill that can be that can be gamified. Uh, there's there's ways of of doing that in a, Like not every game has to do that, but I do sort of feel that. There's all these games that are sort of based on exploration, but have very sort of prescriptive sort of trajectories where it's very much where like it's sort of like working against yeah. itself. Yeah, it's. I know. I know that, that there's this term ludonarrative dissonance, and that was a buzzword a few years ago, and to the point where people roll their eyes at it now. Uh, but I, I do think it's sort of true that we have in all these open world games we have linear stories, and the way mm. games compensate that for that at the moment is that they have branching narratives where you have choices and and or you can there's certain levels that you can complete in in whatever order you choose, but the the main story will still you know sort of be of oh, this one event follows another mm. um and so yeah yeah, there's so many times where you like you finish the tutorial you're let loose in this open world, and the first thing is go here mm. and I sort of and then I sort of feel well what's the point of having an open world then like because you can tell linear stories very well in in the environment so w- yeah I, I sort of i sort of feel there's this sort of disconnect between having an open world environment that is then immediately spoiled once it tells you where to go
1: well i i would say that you know to loosely play devil's advocate i suppose um it's, it's more, I think, that you're speaking more to the central conceits of an open world game as being that the function of that is to create an environment for the player to explore on their own terms and to, you know, or, or rather, what you're desiring is a game where that is the central idea. Yeah. Whereas, because you take something like um, Askreed, for example. Um, Assassin's Creed uh, open world games you know you can run around these well, sort of more open zones because mm. you can't like travel from like I remember in, I haven't played in Assassin's Creed 2 since like Brotherhood and like fell off the wagon at Revelations because of woo. <laughs> but you know, I, I think they actually addressed this and made this better in subsequent ones like I think in Black Flag the whole thing is you can sail around different islands you can just go wherever you want in um, the uh, Syndicate you can go all over London and all of the locations are in London I think is that correct? yeah
0: yeah, I, yeah that one I did play but then, and then it's yeah. still sort of the same there is, a, there is a, a narrative trajectory and yes you can do certain things in certain orders hmm. uh, but there's still a, a sort of progression to it
1: but yeah that's, But my point is more that those games for the ask games aren't really about exploration in an open world Mm. they are about doing assassiny missions in a construct you know in in a certain way and you know using the skills and you know stabbing people and all that kind of stuff so the i mean there are there are great examples that we we've talked about previously where i think that you know having an open world can actively be detrimental Mm. to a game that's trying to tell a story. Metal Gear Solid 5, for example. That's a really interesting example because on a technical level, that's one of the deepest um, Metal Gear Solid games because you can do so many things and you have so many different options for approaching situations. But the problem is, because of the open world nature of the game, the situations that you're approaching lack the same kind of elegant structure that you had in MGS um, 1 through 3, and Mm. 4 rather. Uh, one through four, because in those games, you're going through a set linear, you know, series of yeah. obstacles. You know, you, like you have a bit more freedom on, say, the big shell where you can go to different places.
0: Yeah. But then but then, the point of the big shell, like, again, is I think to sort of step on the point that I believe you're building up to is that like what those, what those games sort of rely on is this sort of pattern learning. And like, that's the, the great thing about big shell is that is you have a, you will have a number of routes to get to your objective. And in, in each of these areas that you pass through, like there are different challenges that you will, and you will pass through these areas several times. Mm. So you then you then it becomes about the strategy, like oh, do I go the long way round, but which might which would avoid a certain thing that I'm not very good at, or mm. or do I go the quickest way? And or, oh, now now I'm in this place again, but I'm approaching
1: from the other side. Yeah. And it gives you it gives the player more of a familiar um, set of things, uh, you know, situations to get used to and ways to hone their skills in an open world context. Um, it also it also it robs the story of a lot more um, heavy beats because the game has to be able for you to do side ops or do missions in whatever kind of weird order that you want them to, hmm. even though they were all structured in like an episodic thing. And yet the storytelling feels really fragmented and strange because you're doing stuff to build up your base. Because yeah,
0: yeah, I'm really not interested in the base. Yeah, l- build. like in, in another game, I might be. Yeah. But in Metal Gear Solid, uh, it's... It you want to be doing cool spy yeah, missions it, it's, to find it's, out it's stuff. it's getting in the way. Yeah. It's, it's like, I, I'm, I'm not... I, I want to have weird shit that, uh, and long cut scenes. Hmm. Well, although even, even then, I, you know, that, that sh- that's a point of criticism because, you know, that's, again, that's telling stories like films.
2: Hmm.
1: But hey, at the same time, I think we've many times previously discussed, like, um, Hideo Kojima definitely has a style yeah. when it comes like he's you know one of the more auteurial um, game designers out there and mm. I think he likes to have that big cinematic feeling because he tells these massively overwrit like you know huge emotional like sort of the loneliness of a man who's gives up everything for his country and he wants you to listen sit down and take notice yeah. of these important moments. It's like the, mm. the ending of Metal Gear Solid 3, like, that, if that was a gameplay thing, I don't think it would have had as much impact. Yeah. You know? but, then,
0: but then I think part of the problem, and this maybe uh, ties back to, you know, the sort of difficulties of, of, different, of different player skill levels and how that affects them, is, is that because film has been around for so long, we have so much shorthand that um filmmakers can use to communicate things yes um whereas video games we're still building this shorthand and because it you know it's still sort of trying to leap out of the the confines of cult entertainment mm. um uh, that shorthand isn't as ubiquitous as the shorthand of film mm. uh you know and, and uh, you, know, you you can identify pieces of it like you you know if you you in a game, something glows. You can interact with it. Yeah, but move if, towards light because yeah. you are all
1: like, "Oh, that's probably a thing they want me to notice." Yeah.
0: So, but and think so. There's there's things like that that that, that we can identify, but maybe other people can't. But then there's also you know we you, you're trying to think of oh how can we express these big emotional beats um, in a story like this in a gamified way mm. uh, in and that's that's and this is partly why I. I cannot quite explain what I want is because I think the shorthand doesn't exist for it yet, and that's and maybe that's what I, I just want games to let's go in this direction because there's stuff here we haven't figured out yet, mm. and that's going to be really interesting.
1: There's a, there's definitely a lot more room for um, the the idea of having a I mean you talk about like a gamifying like uh, big emotional moments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, an example that I think is. Was it definitely the industry trying to sort of address that and still retaining a sense of gameplay in these big moments? You have two things that I think of. One is, um, what I, what I, I, like has a bad rap, but I actually don't think is too bad, which is, um, QTEs, uh, quick time events where it's like, you just have to hit the buttons in the order and then the cool thing happens on the screen, Yeah, which it kind of works in some contexts. Sometimes
0: it can, often it doesn't.
1: Yeah. But I I feel like that with some things, you know, I'm in a similar position to you that I'm not exactly sure what the answer is of how you make a narrative that is engaging, but always retains a sense of player agency and player engagement. Yeah. Cause I mean, even in something like, um, what's a good example of something where it's like, it's, it's really well known for having good player engagement. Like, um, like the Souls games again. Okay. Yeah. So Dark Souls and Demon Souls and all that, they tend to err on the side of very discreet storytelling. You know, mm, lots mm. of... It's perfectly possible to go through the entirety of, like, Bloodborne or whatever, not really knowing why anything is happening or why you're doing the things. You're doing it because, in that instance, the game is fun and challenging and you're sort of given, like, this very abstract objective of, like, off you go. But then you're plonked down into a... What is ostensibly a fairly linear zone. Mm. And your your challenges is to just make it through. And plot stuff happens around you, but it doesn't really have much to do with you as a character specifically. I mean, like, for example, in Dark Souls, you have the whole thing of what your final, ch- you know, the, both Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2. I don't know about Dark Souls 2. I forget how the ending of that fully comes together, actually. But the they're very protracted games that build up to essentially your character making one choice. In 1 and 3, it's like the choice to, either go with do i set myself on fire and thus continue the age of fire and you know continue the cycle or do i let the fire die out and usher in a new age of darkness with me as the lord of darkness that's literally all that game is it Mm. builds up you learn you hear a lot from both sides because you meet lots of people on either side but ultimately you make one decision at the end and choose whether to light yourself on fire or leave and that's kind of like it, it gets into this area of yes, that is a gamified narrative because you never really stop playing and Mm. the game very, very rarely takes away control from you to establish a story moment. But on the other hand, I would argue that that's sort of dodging the question that we're we're, we're exploring here, which is you're in a position where you don't have much of a narrative, really. There's a lot going on, but the actual personal journey, the, the choices that you make, the experiences you have, they are not a woven in part of the, in of the written narrative. Yeah, you have like you know like you uh, dwarf fortress, dwarf fortress, which I've not played, but I hear is very very rife with this kind of thing. Is you have much more emergent gameplay from procedural stuff, but it's on the player to ascribe a sense of narrative and investment in the random elements that come up with that, and that's cool but it's also really really hard to market it. It's like yeah. Oh, look at these really cool things that could happen. Yeah. in this
0: game. Yeah, but but then that's that is the sort of the the types of story that I'm more I'm more interested in exploring. Um because I I think there will there will always be a place for for linear narratives told in games because I don't think you'll ever be like there's they tell a certain kind of story that you probably can't tell in any other way. Um but I am interested in games that explore um telling narratives through the environment or or having their narratives um uh, be like be told through emergent gameplay um because I think that there's there's interesting stuff you can do there um but it is it it's sort of difficult a to market it but then also to to then ensure the, the players having a good time because mm. if you if you have a very prescribed narrative uh you know exactly where the beats are you know exactly how to how to herd your players towards where they're supposed to be going yeah. um and we, you can do that very well we've seen that being done very well yeah. um but then yeah when that and maybe that's why you know these open world games sort of lean on that crutch because we know how to do this yeah um
1: and focus testing as well like you yeah know, in in game testing and you, you know you um i've seen tons of documentaries where they'll have the testers playing it and not mm. only will they get testers to give them verbal feedback but they'll also look at all of the metrics and be like where did they die where did they get stuck where did they spend the most time of their session yeah and so they can identify areas um I, the developer of the game uh, thomas was alone um british developer i forget his name off the top of my head um he said that like lots of some of the puzzles in there he you know when he put them in initially he was like oh this one's gonna be really really hard mm-hmm. and then when he looked at the data from the testers they were all like breezing through that but they got yeah. stuck in ways that he hadn't foreseen so he tweaked those elements to make them easier to do yeah and it, it again it, the, the tricky part is that you come back to this idea that we're, we're trying to develop a culture well a, a, an artistic medium to foster a culture whereby. What I think you'd ideally want, Jim, would be um, games... Well, game developers to make games that trust the players more, in a sense. Mm. It's like, you know, if you have a... I think this would be the kind of thing that would sort of come out of, like, a franchise or something where it's got an established fan base who, like, know what they're doing. But I don't Mm. think you'd necessarily be able to make... Like, as you say, linear storytelling definitely isn't going anywhere. But I think also it, it becomes... A more of a niche thing yeah and gaming as it's coming through its adolescence right now and starting to really go into the mainstream a lot more i think we're going to see you from a cultural standpoint i think we're going to see a lot of simplifying and smoothing of game experiences in the mainstream mm. and the more challenging difficult and like you know confusing stuff will be relegated much more to the independent small developer yeah. market which is both—it's good and bad. But i am i am very interested in the game, um, *Hellblade: Senua's Sacrifice*, um, which I really want to play. Which I need to, you know, get on with the games I have now to be, play it first. Which is where you—you rem- you remember as well as, as I do. Um, around the time, I think it must have been about like what five or six years ago, when the middle gra- um, ground of game development dropped out because mm. there was massive AAA, big budget, big publisher, big stuff. And then there was tiny little indie stuff and like, you know, small studios of like, you know, three or four people or whatever. But then there was this glorious period when there was like middle tier games. There were games like what um, I always thought of the most atypical example was um, Kingdoms of Amalur um, Reckoning, um, which wasn't a great game. It was fun and it was good. It didn't have incredibly high production values. It had a reasonable scope. It had like, you know, a slightly lower price tag than some like the AAA stuff. And it was fun, but the problem was that the amount of cost it took to make that game, knowing that it would not make as much money as something if they poured much more money and made something bigger, or gave them much less money and got them to make something smaller, that became an unsustainable business model. Hellblade is, um, its is it Ninja Theory? I think it's Ninja Theory. Ninja Theory or Team Ninja, one of the two. Um, it's, that's their attempt to make a budget game with, the trappings and production values of a triple a experience to try and create a smaller more challenging different kind of experience that's on a you know smaller budget that doesn't require you to have like the staff of like ubisoft is like you know they they have like a thousand employees or something which is ridiculous Mm. you know it's it's impossible to create a unified artistic vision when you're working on that kind of scale Especially because, in a, in a way that I think is slightly different to film production. Because film production is a much more, you know, we've had you a know, much longer time to build up this industry and everyone has their roles and everyone understands that, like, this is what we're trying to make. I'm going to do my bit, da-dly-da. Whereas I think with video games, because it's going to be something that people play and people have an experience of and they, you know, all experience it differently, it makes it much harder to retain, I think, a singular cohesive vision. Hmm. Which again extends to the narrative side of things as well. I guess yeah. it's a it's a re- it's a real pickle, is what it yeah. is.
0: <laughs> but I, I I can tell you what sort of what what the type of experience is that I want. Yes, because I've had it. Um, it was playing uh, Fahrenheit. Oh, David Cage again. Yes, um, oh, David Cage. And the the way that game opens. You've just killed someone.
2: Mm-hmm. What do you do? Mm-hmm.
0: And that I fucking loved yeah. to take advantage of our enforced swearing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, because all of a sudden I was put in this position. I'd never be, I've never killed anyone. Do, 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 that I know of. No, yeah. no, I haven't. Yeah. Just uh, yeah. for the police listening. Yeah. I have never killed anyone. Mm. But all of a sudden I was put in a situation which we all fantasize about. Like, well, What would we do? How would we try and escape from the police? <laughs> How would, I've got this murder weapon. Where do I put it? Where do I hide it? And that's, that was a brilliant experience. It ended up being completely irrelevant because then you also play as the detective who's investigating you. It's like, yeah. oh, I've got, I've got the murder weapon is here. How did you know that? <laughs> um, but it was it was that sort of experience, like where I wasn't led in any way. I was just just dropped into a situation, and I had to use like my wits to work my way out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would that's I want to play more experiences like that. Um, and, and so yeah, I, I, it's. Obviously, you can't you can't play as enforced a narrative in in that sort of game because um, you're you're immediately the 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 player becomes a rogue element uh, because you don't know what they're going to do necessarily, Um, and (laughs) that seems like a frightening thing because then you have to account for every single choice. Um, But I I would like to to see it you know sort of push towards games that. are just not so prescribed in that way, um, where it's just literally you versus a game, where you're put in, in, in perhaps a, an open-world environment, uh, and the game builds its narrative by reacting to what the player does. Uh, and there's elements of, of this already, like um, Alien Isolation, That's a linear narrative game. There's Mm. sort of, you know, the levels are open a bit and that you have different routes you can plot through them. Um, But what is interesting about that um, is the way... the the ai of the alien works is there are two ais there's the ai of the alien itself which responds to you know certain stimuli if it will it, will, it can see in here uh and if you if you move it will follow you if it, and it will you know it will kill other npcs that are there uh but then you also have this sort of meta ai that is managing the fear levels like there's an intensity meter and when because it knows that the player will need you know a break from adrenaline uh to have a good time um it, once the intensity, like it measures things like proximity to the alien or like certain, uh, your, the intensity of your encounters. Uh, and once it gets too high for too long, um, provided you've escaped from the alien, the alien will leave you alone for a bit. Yeah, backs but, off. But then once it's, if it's been too low for too long, the alien will know where you are. Or at least it will, it will give, the, it will give. It'll the, start roaming well, yeah. more. And well, like... no, it will give the alien a rough idea where you are. Yeah. Uh, so it says. So it just it, would, it basically gives the alien suggestions of where to explore, um, and, and so it's it's in a way it is tailoring the narrative to your minute by minute actions because it, it knows what kind of experience it wants you to have.
1: See, I disagree with your terms a little there though because okay. that's that is um, emergent gameplay tailoring the minute to minute gameplay loop. Yeah. It's not necessarily changing the narrative of the game.
0: No, I, I agree. But I'm saying you can you, you can use the same sort of approach mm. to building a narrative.
1: Mm. You could. It, it's The tricky part is that, you know, uh, narrative is so much more complicated than just moment-to-moment gameplay in a lot of things. Because, yeah. I mean, there's the game that's coming out um, next year that I um, told you about that I saw at Eurogamer, mm. which is... Um, oh, God, the name escapes me right now. The... Kingdom of Heaven. It's like Kingdom of Heaven, but it's like yeah, it's a medieval first-person <coughs> role-playing game where it's real historical stuff. Where mm. you are a r- regular soldier in the, during this time when there was a big civil war, I believe, in uh, Poland. I think maybe Polish, or I may just be. I think you said it with I, the th- I
0: think you said that before, and we looked it up, and it wasn't Poland, but I've yeah. forgotten where it was. But sort
1: of Eastern Europe area, and um the things, a lot of things they've talked about, and they're. Um, in the demonstration that I watched, a lot of things they talked about was, sounded, were very, very interesting. Um, for one, they have a greatly reduced sense of player significance I- with regards to the overarching narrative of the time. Mm. Because it's real history and you're going to be at real battles that actually really happened. Mm. If you're at a siege and historically that siege you know, broke, that siege is going to break and you're not going to be able to stop that because mm. you do not have the clout in the world to be able to do it. They they, they also have the thing that um, if you choose to fanny around, as people often do in open world games, that will have consequences. If someone says, oh, I'll meet you at this town in three days and yeah. you're like, okay, and then you forget about it and you get distracted by like, you know, chasing some bandits or something that you know ends up making you late that person will not wait around for you forever Mm. you won't have npcs you know at all hours of the day being like ah you're here Mm, yes well ah now it is time for the next step in the story the story will just continue without you and you may miss things which is again it comes back to that element of risk because it means if people if people don't want to miss anything that they're going to feel that they can't explore the open world style game that it is yeah because they don't want to miss out on any of the narrative stuff. But if they do choose to miss out on the narrative stuff, there's going to come a point where, I presume, there's going to have to come a time when the game will force you to go to some places. Yeah. Because otherwise it just kind of falls apart.
0: Yeah, because that's, yeah, that's... That's not a feeling I want. I, I When I'm playing a game, I don't want to feel like I'm missing some of it. Um, so...
1: Yeah, but like the that's, thing with ha- thats the thing with having a a, a breathing world that yeah. actually does react to player choices. That well, again, again, you, you are is, going to miss misthink.
0: Yeah, that's and that's that's okay. But that's that's I'm not necessarily looking because that's quite a, a a harsh approach to it. Which mm. may, which you know that may be fine. Like I I, I don't m- mind that sort of like oh if you you know if if you if you don't do this then then the world will react to that and mm. so you have to make make your choices carefully that's fine uh but i think it is also p- possible to have um a game in the open world where instead of you going to find the narrative the narrative will come and find you and you can even have you can even tell a quite linear story that way but you can just frame it in a different way that um the player doesn't feel like they're being shepherded mm. um like say if you know, you, you tell a very simple story where a certain story beat has to happen.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but then the player is in this open world environment and you don't know like where which direction they're gonna go. Instead of trying to guide them to a certain place that you want them, is it possible to uh make a narrative that will have this certain character they have to meet come and find them no matter where they go? And so then they're still they're still put into a situation where like, they can go anywhere And still feel like the game is going to take care of them. Like they're not going to miss things. Um, Now I know there's problems with that like say yeah. say if it were a boss encounter boss encounters tend to be stronger if they're in a sort of uh, environment designed to them and then you can tailor their when actions you're like ah, oh, look at this boss room yes,
2: yeah you know but
0: then also, also you, like you oh if you want you know where this boss is going to be you can know you know what they're capable of doing and, and w- whether their actions will work in that terrain and then but then as soon as you add the sort of rogue element where like you have no idea where the character is like, where the player is going to encounter this boss then all of a sudden you have to make sure that this boss is capable of of acting okay in all terrains, and then we start to get into problems that the No Man's Sky people got into.
1: Well, not even, not even. That, I don't think it's it's. I mean, I think that the thing that in I find intriguing about it is that we we definitely approach games from um, different positions, and we both want, like, I think, quite different things from video games. Because f- I feel like that in some ways, it's we both want experiences like you know we're both much more about like the actual gameplay being fun and like challenging and stuff like that um i feel like i'm less entranced with story it's kind of a a hard thing to admit really that i I feel like that gaming as a storytelling medium doesn't hasn't really produced anything recently that's really where the story has been enough of a grab for me to do it you know, for me to go through mm. a game and see out the story. Which is weird, because I used to really, like, like game stories and stuff like that. But I feel like I've kind of got to the point where I play games for, you know, the actual gameplay. Yeah. It's so like, I will, you know, the, like, take playing Neo for example. I'm having a whale of a time <laughs> with Neo. I have a very loose, approximate idea of what the plot is. Yeah. I think I've gone to Japan to get a, to a thing. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but the thing I enjoy about it is the combat and the level design and like you know the way yeah. that it teaches me and stuff like that and that's what i play that game for you could you know <laughs> to, to sort of loosely touch on a controversy in the um marvel in marvel versus capcom infinite where there's no x-men characters because Mar- uh, marvel doesn't have the film rights to them so like well we're not going to put them in our video game because why would we help out fox eh. um but a lot of people were complaining about this because they didn't get to play as you know Magneto or Wolverine or whatever. And unfortunately, Peter Combo Fiend Roses uh, said a thing saying, "Well, the ultimately the functions of those characters are present in the game, but they've been put into different characters and different contexts." Mm. Which raised an interesting question of what is you know in, in fighting games at least, like what do what is what are characters? What do they matter? Is the most important thing how they play because that's the thing you're doing, or is it who they are, because you want to, like, you know, oh yeah, I am mm. playing as, you know, like Ryu from Street Fighter, and I think Ryu is a cool guy. Yeah, he's a world warrior, but he could just as easily be generic, other yeah. th- blank slate thing. And then it it's plays of, the
0: same. It's sort of a marrying of the two, isn't it? Like I remember, like playing the the earth Star Wars Battlefront, and being like, yeah, it's kind of cool to fly an X-wing, but it's not as cool as it was in like x-wing like fighter games because mm-hmm. that was then that they f- the way they flew was like oh this feels like how an x-wing would fly and here it just feels like just mm, it's, it's all right it's an arcade sort of thing oh i can't roll unless i press right on the dual pad and it will just do it for me thank you <laughs> uh i mean that's another thing as well i i get annoyed by games like if if there's a torch if they if the torch comes on automatically in darkness mm-hmm. Because I sort of feel like, well, what's the point of the darkness then if I can't use the torch? Um, and even even if it works really well, like because sometimes it doesn't, and then you find yourself like, I want to see this thing, but you think it's light enough, mm-hmm. so I can't see it. Um, but uh, even 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 if it manages that really well, it still sort of feels like, well, if I'm not in control of this, what's the point of having these dark sequences? Is, is it just for the ambience
1: it can be i mean
0: it, again you, you need to give more of a specific example uh, d- destiny is the one where it's been annoying me lately oh. uh, and destiny does do it quite well like normally the torch comes on in darkness so that's fine but mm. and and guess it does add a bit of a you know because monsters attacking you in the dark so it is a sort of atmosphere thing mm. um but i still sort of feel like oh this I, I want i want to be in control of that i want a little button that makes me put switch the torch on and off so i can sort so, yeah, it's a weird, a weirdly I can't re- specific I see, niche Again, thing to... I can't really articulate why that bothers me, yeah. but I says like, no, I want to be in control of that. I because I felt feel like I'm being having my hand held, which is which is because oh, I don't like you play games that are more notoriously difficult than the ones I play, mm. uh, and yet when I when I play
1: games, I don't want to feel like stuff is being done for me. Mm. It's yeah, I I think hmm. the the tricky part is trying to strike that balance. You know, because the, the optimal video game experience is mm. something that is challenging enough that players are, you know, challenged. <laughs> um, it's challenging, it's fun, but it's not so challenging that it causes the majority of people to put it down. Yeah. And that comes back to the with the problem we were talking about again. That You know, if you're bored by a film, you can just turn off the film. Yeah. But that doesn't really affect, like... The experience of the film for other people because other yeah. people can just be like oh because such and such didn't like you know le- there's that scene in um what's the what's a good one um well you know that that whole sequence in russian arc where it's like you know the entire film is a one-shot walk through like various periods of russian history well the thing is we tested that and it turns out that greg like just finds Russian history really boring, <laughs> so we've cut all of that out. It's now about space monsters. <laughs> you know, th- that's the problem with a medium that people are going to interact with, yeah. because it has to be have a certain measure of accessibility, or even in some cases, yeah. it can thrive on not being accessible.
0: But then, but then this sort of comes into my, my like maybe maybe goes somewhere to explain my torch issue mm. and other thing is that you know for an interactive medium, I fi- I find it jarring when things are not as interactive as they could be when there's things like and like, that's again with an, I want a narrative that is interactive
1: yeah you want to be able to exert a sense of control over the things well, that you're not, doing. not not necessarily control
0: but certainly influence yeah like i want to f- uh, like if it is an open world game i want to feel like mm, like i'm i'm not being I'm, i i have freedom even if it's an illusion of freedom um I would I just I want I don't want to feel like that freedom is being hampered by being told what to do because then I feel like well
1: why is it an open world game then well I I would say that you know, the thing that I th- I would find difficult to balance about that is that not every and i would not saying obviously this isn't. A, you're not saying a blanket statement like this is how all open world games should be. But in the mm. in, with the the terminology that you're using of like why is it an open world game? There are many reasons that some games adopt an open world model, mm. even if they their intention is not to provide you know a total sense of freedom. Yeah, you have you know like we were saying like with the Creed games like you know um, as Creed you're you're in an open world ostensibly, but your main thing is to go mission to mission to mission and do the constructed sequences that they have prepared for you within that open world is yeah. an open world constructed of essentially levels and challenges and stuff some of which you can get like emerging gameplay from like you know like the chase sequences or whatever yeah. that you sometimes have where people are running through the streets and you're like oh no there's a cart that there. oh that wasn't there before mm. you know um but i it's it's kind of like i view open world gaming not something that Terribly interests me, to be honest, because I I get bored of open world games really, really quickly. Mm. Because in most cases, I e- unless they've got really, really good mechanics, I still get bored with like you know the one of the big complaints some um, I saw the gaming Brits did about um, Metal Gear Solid Five was that the only thing that the open world kind of brought to Metal Gear Solid Five was a lot more travelling to the places, yeah. which is just boring yeah like there are some cases in some games where traveling to places can be meaningful and can Mm. actually feed into the story there's a wonderful bit in red dead redemption which is like right before the final sequences of the game you've killed the last guy and your family has gone back to your farm and you have to ride there and they have this whole there's this lovely piece of music and it's this really reflective kind of like excited but also kind of like vaguely melancholic moment where you ride back through all of these places that you've been before and you ride back to your farm and when you get there you're like you're very aware that like oh this is probably the end of the game this is the last time I will be with this character you know that's a really good use of travelling as a way to sort of give the player a breather and give the player you know pause yeah. but there's a reason also that like games like Skyrim have a fast travel mechanic yeah because but then also then again, no one then... fucking likes walking no the
0: but then you know, there's 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 something to be said for eschewing the the fast travel mechanic because I know I know people who play that way who mm. don't use fast travel. You because,
1: did that in Fallout Four in your second playthrough, didn't
0: you? Um, yes, but only because my second playthrough was uh, in survival mode where you cannot fast travel. Uh, um, but it did.
1: Yeah, I remember you saying that it really I fa- kind of changed how I you found, played the game.
0: I found things that I hadn't found in my entire playthrough of the whole game uh, on on the normal mode, mm. uh, and and so and so yeah. This is the the sort of this is what, what I want is, is, is a game that sort of doesn't, doesn't make you, <sighs> see, it's difficult for me to it yeah, articulate. Yeah, yeah. It's... <laughs> Use your words. <laughs> because, because, yeah, so, so I, I felt sad for having missed this stuff. Mm. Um, but, you know, again, if then, if you don't have fast travel, then there's a lot of retreading the same ground. Mm-hmm. Um and once yeah once you clear out a place in fallout um maybe some you'll have some random encounters but those aren't particularly meaningful nope. they're just you know fodder yeah. um uh, and so just checking you're still awake. You know? yeah or just or just making sure that this this place doesn't isn't empty anymore um and i'm i'm certain there is a way of of telling a story in a way, in a way that better suits an open world environment um and I don't know what it is entirely, I have like
1: sort of ghosts of ideas, yeah, um keep adding it to that g d d yeah <laughs>
0: and I, and it just sort of I, it frustrates me a little that when that I don't feel we're we're taking significant strides toward it um but i mean there's 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 elements of it around in in gaming and I, f- and I feel that it will happen eventually, like uh, this game I played yesterday like, Air. air. Aer, um, which you know, I, I completed very quickly, and it was a puzzle game, and some of the puzzles were were all right, and the ending was a bit abrupt. But um, what was sort of interesting about it is that that what it did it was open world, and it's and it's sort of in, structured in the way that most open world games are, and that the open world basically served as a sort of uh, a level hub, but mm-hmm. you can you can do any of the levels in any order. Um, but it was sort of it, it just. The way it was structured just changed the way I interacted with the game because yeah. I could go anywhere um, and I knew there were certain things I had to find, um, but I didn't know where they were. And also the direct, it, there were no nav points. Like, it, it, like If you needed help, there was a settlement and you could go there and speak to people and they would give you suggestions of where to go.
1: And you had a compass, uh, right?
0: I had a compass and a map, but no nav points. They would just say, oh, there's this thing is here. Uh, it'd go go north. You might find this, uh, and then I would I would go to other places and I would find like documents that people had written, and it was sort of like oh we we went to the monastery which is northwest of here, um, and that was sort of interesting because then I was finding things, uh, I was just, like I was I was stumbling across things that, mm. um, and then I, I was that were then directing me to other things, and I didn't even know what was necessarily interesting about those things, but I was just like oh what's that? I'll go have a look at that then, mm. and I, and and the game was pretty short and the world could have been done with being more detailed because yeah I was just sort of travelling between lots of like there was sort of a bit of unnecessary distance between the the points of interest um but it it uh, it was it was a sort of nicer for me at least uh way of experiencing an open world where it wasn't it 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 prescribed very little hmm. um and i i i just thought, like even just um A big open world fantasy game that's structured in the same way. uh, I would like, where it's like there's there's it doesn't tell you where to go. It just gives you suggestions of what you might like to see, Mm. Um, and the world is detailed enough that no matter which direction you choose, you will find something that interests you. Like like you could do that in The Witcher. You could if you go if you you know you go in a there's so much in there. You go in a direction
1: for long enough, you'll find something interesting. Mm. But again. The tricky part is like, again, it, <coughs> I don't want to make it sound like that your entire thing is like, I want more map reading and games. <laughs> um, <coughs> but, you know, the, it is, a nav point is a really mm. good way to make sure that your players go to where you want them to go.
0: Yeah. Because. But then, but then, yeah, this is like, I don't, I don't have a problem with nav points in certain contexts, but then um, maybe my issue is more how the story is structured. Like if mm. you have an open world, why do you have a specific place that you want the player to go? Yeah. Like no, can. Well,
1: because that's where the cool stuff is yeah but we want them to but, see the cool but stuff but if it's
2: an open
0: world shouldn't there be cool stuff everywhere no because then <laughs> it's all just neutral stuff <laughs> you have a varied cool like, you can have different kinds of cool stuff
1: on a, a, a tiny sidebar I will say that I did like the way that uh, Silent Hill 3 did the map because mm. you have you, fi- you have to find the map in the first place and yeah. it's a literal physical map and then as um, you explore the area yeah. they mark literally things get marked off as you encounter yeah. them. So if you try a door and it's locked, they'll just put little things indicating this door is locked. And you don't know where you are in relation to everything everything else because you're not on the map. Yeah. But you can see where you've been and you can see notes that yeah. your character has made, which is interesting. Like, so that, yeah, so this... Even, even, like, if, if one
0: small change can be made towards my dream, um, mechanics like that... Um, whereas, like... If it's a game about exploration, there's you can gamify that. Like yeah. it's, It does seem odd to me, the amount of uh, open-world games that have a GPS system. And GPS is sort of the enemy of exploration, because it just takes you where you want to go. It's, you don't find stuff along the way. You don't find shortcuts. Mm. And that's a big difference to be playing the newer GTA games compared to my experience of the older GTA games. I would find, like, just because you have... Um, like one nav point, it says, "Oh, it's in this direction," but it doesn't tell you the route to get there. Yeah, you find shortcuts. Yeah, I, and I don't do that in GTA
1: games anymore. I just follow the roads they tell me to. Mm-hmm. It's it's a tricky thing because it's um, I think I agree with you that a good way to be trying to like influence the culture overall to go in more of an exploratory based direction of trying yeah. to have more confidence in players that we're teaching them to work without these things yeah the the tricky i think you know having less prescribed routes to um places while it may be slightly more risky in terms of a casual audience is ultimately going to influence a form of cultural change overall yeah it's the problem is though it's we've now come so far that like one of the things you know that um a lot of um, people find weird like you go going back into like older games and stuff is that like the presence or absence of a mini map or like a GPS thing yeah. or like whatever that can drastically change how you approach a game or how you think about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember the exact one, but there was a, there was a game I was playing where I can't remember what, I think it was like, it was I can't remember the game off the top of my head, but I realized that I spent most of my time looking at the mini map rather than looking at the things I was doing on it. Yeah. Fucking burnout paradise. That's the one.
0: Well, I, well, I've done that on the older Metal Gear Solid games, because you can see the, the guards oh, yeah, feel the vision. vision. Cones. So you can kind of, you can play the whole game just using that.
1: Yeah, which, like, the vision cones thing, I, I have less of a problem with that, because I think the minimap in um, MGS is, like, pretty well handled, for the most yeah, part. Yeah, You know, and it was kind of a weird experience in MGS4, when you didn't really have that, and you had the, like, the octo-camo ring thing instead. Yeah. Which was an interesting step. I didn't like it as much. Yeah. Um, because well, I, it, worked, I it worked kind of well in Echo, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah of course. Um, not the dolphin. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but yeah, I found that like I, I like Burnout Paradise. Again, that's a game where I'm just like, why is this open world? What do you get for yeah. this being open world? I like my favorite Burnout was Burnout Revenge, which like has a bunch of tracks, and the tracks have lots of different routes through them, mm-hmm. and lots of different permutations thereof. You know, they can have like different things happen in them, but ultimately, you can learn all of the ways that the tracks come together and that was what was satisfying and as you get better cars and you go around the tracks and you go you know the difference between doing it in like you know a basic car and then trying to do like one of the more complex tracks in say the formula one car which was absurdly fast (laughs) and you're like oh this is a very different gameplay experience fortunately i by that point i knew the tracks very well Mm. so i could compensate for being given this ridiculously powerful fast car that was really difficult to handle because I kind of knew where I was supposed to be going and what I was supposed to be doing. You have that in, like, Burnout Paradise. I was just like, I don't... I can get lost in a race, which is really irksome. Yeah. Like, sometimes I'll not want to necessarily... Like, you know, I have to take a route to get there, and I'm looking at the minimap, trying to see what's the most direct route that I should take to get there. And then I make a bad turning, and I'm like, it's not just that, like, I've gone off the fastest route... I've got it, like, I ended up in this this, this bit near a dam or something where you can go down there and you can just get fucking stuck in, like, a bunch of cul-de-sacs and everything. And I was sort of stuck there in this race being like, oh, I'm either going to have to start this race completely from the beginning again, and I'm stuck in this area that I didn't want to be in that's really hard to get out of again. It it just seemed that could have been avoided if they'd gone with a more simple way of doing it. Mm. So I, I think... As we are approaching time... Oh, and there's, um, oh,
0: there's so much more I can say about this. I've got so many things <laughs> in my head. With, like, we've got 34 seconds left. Well, I'm sure
1: we can we can come back to this on another occasion. Uh,
0: w- I mean, it will come up in, in other gaming yeah. uh, uh, episodes we do. I think uh, the,
1: the, the view that I would take is that open world elements and player control are very closely intertwined. And yeah. I think you should be careful about how you implement those elements and how you want them... To function and how you want that to affect the player. Well, yes,
0: obviously. But I I, I maintain at the moment the way we're telling stories is not necessarily the most beneficial way to an open world environment. I agree. (laughs) Ha, we timed that so perfectly. Um, Even the. I'm just annoyed that we haven't solved gaming. That was that was all I wanted to do in this podcast, Nick. I just wanted to solve gaming, and we haven't.
1: Well, you'd think, like in an hour, just putting our heads together, we'd yeah. probably figure it out. We're, yeah. we're two smart, dudes. But alas, it, alas, it was a waste of it time. Was all a waste of time. <laughs>
0: What a Waste of Time featured the voices of me, Jim Woodall, and Nick Hurd. Music by Anthony Bullinger.